Welcome to another episode of the Sawdust and Fire podcast. We are your hosts. I am Hunter Johnson. And I'm Thomas Baldridge. Boy, this has been a pretty day, hasn't it, Tom? Man, in a lot of ways it has, but uh, I'm kind of dreading it, really. We got some storms coming tonight, ain't we? Yeah, they're they're talking about it could get serious, and anytime we have tornadic weather in the middle of the night, it, it it's not good. Well, when it's uh mid seventies and the buffalo nights are wearing you out in the early to mid February, you know you're gonna have a storm. Yeah, no, nothing good can come of this. What 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 we've been able to enjoy today, we will pay for tonight. <laughs> I'm afraid you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it ain't it ain't good, man. But I'll be honest with you, I had a really good lunch today. Sat out on a picnic table, visited with my dad in the sunshine. It was beautiful, just beautiful. But I'm sure we'll pay for it. Oh yeah, the 100 chance of rain tonight. So, well, yeah, they're uh, even talking about 40 plus mile an hour sustained winds and tornadoes, and it's just anytime you got 70 degrees in January, or February, it, it ain't it ain't good. No, it ain't. Well, you know, we had a pretty good response. I got several messages, uh, people reaching out over our uh, duck hunting Arkansas Green Timber Reservoir podcast last week. Um, so we thought we would continue it a little bit this week. And uh, we got a gentleman on that we've been friends with here for a couple years. And uh, he's a uh, he didn't have 70 degree weather today. I think they're calling for big snow up there tonight, but uh, we got Matt Farmer. How you doing, Matt? Pretty good. How are you fellows? Good, good. Hey, tell us, uh, what's what's this weather you got coming tonight? Oh, uh, well, I'm in Tornado Alley, but we don't think of tornadoes till May up here. So we're <laughs> looking at, right now, we're sitting at a 14 degree wind chill with, with a 35 mile an hour wind, which in Kansas, that's just another day, but... Uh, we got a we got a winter storm warning. They're saying they're saying up to ten nine to ten inches here tonight, but then come Saturday we're supposed to be fifty degrees. So it's a <laughs> no. T- you just wait ten minutes. That that story holds true up here for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of this weather's been on crack here for the last <laughs> few years. But yeah, it's been crazy, crazy. Mother Nature's bipolar, and she's off her meds. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. So, what part of Kansas are you in? I'm in the north central part. I'm about I'm right smack in the middle of the state, and I'm about, oh, 30 miles south of the Nebraska line. Okay. So. All right. So what do you do up there? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I work for a, uh, I work for the state wildlife agency in Kansas, and uh, my job is I'm a public lands manager. So our agency split up into several divisions. Uh, we got a fish and wildlife division. The fisheries guys do the fisheries squeeze fish thing, and the, our wildlife biologists, they push a lot of our, our, our programs, our walk-in hunting. Um, they do a lot with uh, putting programs on the ground through private lands. Of course, Kansas is 98% privately owned. I think we're ranked, we're ranked like 48th in the nation for public access. So oh, and wow. we're like 13th as, as far as landmass goes. So there's a lot of private ground for those guys to, to work on. But but my division is public land. So um we got a little bit of public land in the state, and I'm fortunate enough to manage a, a wetland area that's owned by the state. So we're about 6,000 acres total. Uh, we got about 3,000 acres of water when we're brim full. So pretty holistic management, 
uh, a lot of diversity. I don't just stick with the ducks, even though I love them. Um, but we've got a lot of upland sites, some real nice cottonwood savannas, and we also got a little bit of riparian timber. So it's a it's a good mix, and we we we're stretched pretty thin at times, but we get a lot of do we do a lot of different things. So, well, cool. so you probably know a little bit about uh what what what's what's it called when you uh you manage uh, uh native weeds for duck habitat. Uh, yeah, I, I grow the red grass. That's what all my hunters say. <laughs> my decoys get hung up in that red grass. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the, I'm in a, a little bit different than what you guys see down south is, is we call our wetlands. It's a, it's a prairie wetland, but it's a fluvial saline marsh, basically. So fluvial meaning basically we have a, a water. Uh, the hydrology is we have a, a creek system that flows through the property. Uh, okay. We're basically a wide spot in the creek that that acts like a wetland you know it functions as a wetland our soils are very saline um, our phs are way way low i mean our water table um i can't i can't pump well water here at my headquarters because the, the water is saltier than the sea so oh. um historically it was a great place for uh, native americans to uh, hunt and gather because the salt on the soil surface once would it evaporate through the summer the salt would attract elk bison all the critters uh, that they chase. And they'd also collect salt. I mean, they collect salt right off the surface out of these artesian springs. So it's a pretty neat place. A lot of plant diversity, um, a lot of headaches from vegetation like anywhere else, but uh, it's it's a pretty neat place. It's 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 really unique ecosystem up here. Wow, that that's cool stuff. So um, these plants don't have much trouble growing in the salty soil? Some do, some don't. Uh, we got areas where I fought and fought trying to get native grass to grow, uh, and it won't. It's too salty. There's there's plants that we have that have adapted to it. Uh, salt um, inland salt grass is a big one we have. It doesn't get more than about ten to fifteen inches tall. Um, it can get pretty rank, and it loves fire. And you haven't seen a hot fire. You, you'd think something that's only a foot tall isn't going to be very hot, but man, it's got it puts out some BTUs. Um, but then we got some other upland stuff that where the native grows really well. Um, you know, our moist soil grows well in pretty much all the areas, but being a wide spot in the creek, we do collect a lot of sediment. So we battle cattails. Um, we, we move a lot of sediment around, a lot of maintenance there. Uh, some invasives, we're really starting to fight phragmites. I don't know if you guys have much of that down there. But, Not much, uh, but I know what you're talking about. It's uh, it's. I'd rather I take cattails any day over frag. It's it's just the devil. It's just about the only way we can kill it is with expensive chemical, and that chemical has been restricted aerially to just a helicopter. So, if anybody's priced what it costs to fly on chemical out of a helicopter, it'll eat your lunch. So, I bet we, we got a lot of different methods we try, but it seems chemicals have been about the only silver bullet we found. And man, you got to keep on top of that stuff. So. So what uh what what are you what are you spraying um what kind of herbicide? Uh, Amazapir is about the best thing we found to 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 really smack it. It, it lasts at glyphosate. It loves fire. Um, we'll utilize fire just to kind of get rid of the duff, just to where we can get to it with machinery if we can. But um, yeah, Amazapir has been about the only thing. We'll throw a little glyphosate in it since Amazapir doesn't brown up uh, quickly. Uh, we'll throw we'll throw a hint of glyphosate in there just to see where we've been. But uh, it's been about the most effective tool so far. And I guess you've got crops growing in the area. The reason you can't spray it with an airplane? 
Yeah, it, that's just been a restriction from the state through application. We got a lot of soybeans uh, around the area and we do farm on the property for some income. Uh, we farm for wildlife, so it's no-till, heavy cover crop, heavy rotation, uh, a lot of small fields for that edge. Uh, makes a big difference and it's pretty diverse. So it's not a big part of the income here, but anybody that manages a wetland know what knows what it costs to kill a duck. So oh, definitely, you know, and our, our, our budgets are pretty, pretty minuscule. So we try to stretch every penny we got. Right. Right. Trying to incorporate, we're actually incorporating a lot more grazing. We started bringing cows back into the system and that's been a game changer for us. Uh, when we can have a contract grazer come in, string his own fence, haul his own water. And I get free, hab I get, man, I get habitat work and I get paid to do it through the producer. So it's been, well, I'm going to, I'm going to let Thomas, pick you apart on that grazing here in just a little bit um, all right but let's uh so let's talk about moist soil a little bit i guess y'all have got quite a bit of it um that's probably one of your main uh uh duck foods you've mm -hmm. you've got on the area yeah we uh we promote moist soil that's our number one goal uh, due to our flood frequency we it's it's not in our best interest to plant many crops about the only thing we'll plant is japanese millet um I, I do use a little bit of, I'll get some free corn from my local seed dealer, just whatever he's got laying on a pallet, broken bags, uh, plot seed bags, but I use the corn to farm out uh, some bad stuff. We we got a salty plant here. It's a woody, it's called uh, salt marsh aster, and it, it doesn't carry a fire. About the only thing it's good for is bug habitat, so we'll mow it down, um, but uh, we found out some some patches we just can't we can't shrink. So we started incorporating a little bit of dirty corn and I'll actually plant it with a drill. I'll just, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just section off that center part of the drill. Uh, I'll put Jack millet in that. And then the two outside pots in my 10 foot drill or, or corn. And it works out pretty good because I get six foot of corn and then I get six foot of millet. And uh, it's, it's seen, it's been working pretty well. Um, I can get about two good years out of it. I get I, it resets the system. I get a good moist soil response before that aster starts creeping back in. So, but other than that, we we we're strictly moist soil. Uh, it's 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 been it's been a good thing for us. Well, let's talk about some of your moist soil plants that you're encouraging that you're seeing out mm -hmm. there. And uh, what do you? I mean, here I know it's uh, uh, you know we strive for some annual smart weeds and barnyard grass and. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we've got a few things like a tooth cup and some sedges and stuff yeah. like that, what are y'all dealing with out there? Uh, it's mostly that. It's it's a it's a heavy barnyard grass and, and, and smart weed uh, mix. I kind of like a mix. Most of the time, we're heavier on the smart weed just because our the way our drawdowns have to work. Um, I'll start drawing water off here in the next couple of weeks, real slow, and that cooler germination seems to really get the smart weed going, and. Uh, but, but sometimes, you know, that barnyard grass comes up. I mean, barnyard grass is one of them tricky plants. Is you try to manage for it, and you're sitting out there in the middle of July going, well, what the heck, where's it at? You know, <laughs> you're, you're starting to worry, and then you just kind of wait it out. Next thing you know, 45 days later, you got a pretty good stand of barnyard. So um, we do get some tooth cut. Um, we get a lot of purslane. Purslane's a big, it likes a little more saltier soil. Okay. And, of course, the the teal, the teal and the pintails just eat it up. I mean, they just gorge themselves, but uh, we don't get a lot of tooth cut. We don't get a lot of bidens. Um, and I think that's just due to the alkali content of our soils. Um, yeah. But but the smart weed and the barnard grass, they they just love it. And a lot of, a lot of panicking. 
Uh, we this year we had a big year of of uh, panicum. So um, I shot a mallard this year, and he was just you know how sometimes guys are shooting mallards with with corn in them, they're just puking it up. And this guy, I could feel a paper plate heaping with all the with all the uh, panicum seed that he had in him. So no, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was neat. So I'm sure we've got listeners right now that are are thinking, oh man, they're talking about weeds. You know, we know that that uh you need to hot crop for ducks mm-hmm. and, but but let's talk about the advantages of moist soil over hot crops well some days moist soil is the hot crop you know That's true. um i tell a lot of my hunters when they start talking about corn corn is corn to a duck is equivalent to you and me living on nothing but white bread it, it'll give you it'll it'll keep you alive it'll get you through a cold night but it's not going to give you those vital amino acids, those proteins, all the minerals that come out of Mother Earth that you need to survive and, and grow and grow feathers and make eggs and and have that diversity. Um, they got to have that. And, and corn, corn just won't give it to them. It'll give them some thermal cover. It'll keep the hawks away. It might keep the wind off of them for a few nights, but day in, day out. Um, and we see it here all the time in Kansas. I mean, those ducks dry fee field, they hit the dry the dry fields, you know, November time frame. But uh you catch a 50 degree day, guys will be sitting out in the corn. They wonder why the ducks show up at you know 20 minutes after shooting time. Right. They're they're bumping out just to get a quick quick few bites just to get them through the night. But but the guys that that come over here uh and hunt this moist soil, they're they're in the ducks all day. Yeah. I've had hunters from Missouri, you know, they hunt those big impoundments. Everybody wants to hunt the corn. And they go to those free zones when they don't get a draw. They'll come out here and they'll hunt out of their layout boats. And I tell them, you know, we want to shoot a pintail. Go to that patch of smartweed, you know, find some smartweed. And they come back and say, man, we had an awesome hunt. And I said, well, try it at home. And sure enough, man, the next year they're they're like, we don't have the corn anymore. We we go, <laughs> we paddle right by the guys in the corn. We go back to that moist soil. And day in, day out, we shoot a lot more ducks, we, a lot more consistent because that's where they want to be. Right, right. Well, let's That's talk what, about why. Let's talk about why the ducks want to be in moist soil. Um, you know, there's several different reasons from uh, invertebrates to seed lasting longer mm-hmm. underwater to more protein, more energy. Um, let's talk about some of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a, a critter has to really weigh out, you know, the energy it's going to take me to eat this thing versus the energy, you know, I'm going to get out of it, you know. A corn kernel is pretty big. It takes a lot of energy to break down a corn kernel, but when that and they got to find it, so they got to cover some ground. They got to swim. They got to jump sometimes on the ice to hit a to hit a cob. But I, you know, a duck can sit in one spot and spin a circle and fill his craw full of bugs and seeds and anything else he can get a hold of. And uh, that's a major thing. I mean, they, it's that barnyard grass is easy to break down. Um, it's easy to digest and it's full of nutrients. Not to mention the bugs that are in it. And plus, I mean, we didn't have corn a couple hundred years ago. I mean, right. that's that's what they've evolved to eat. So that's that's what's that's what's in their DNA. So that's that's my big thing. And 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 the, the input costs on corn. I mean, just from the economic side, not even talking about the duck side. I mean, you know, you I got a guy over here. He's got an impoundment, and uh, first thing he did was start planting corn. I said, just keep do what you want to do for five for two years. Do what you want to do. Then just I just just try to try more soil one year. He said, he agreed to that. And 
the first two years they did corn. They they shot a lot of ducks. Uh, that third year they did more soil and they shot the same amount of ducks. I mean, they were within 10, 20 ducks. I said, all right, what was your input cost? Yeah. He said, uh, well, my corn was costing me almost $50,000 a year because once you get in the ground, I get a flood. Well, dang, I've committed to it. I got to replant. I got to do fertilizer. I got to do this and that. I said, what's your more soil cost? About $20 in diesel to mow a hole. Yep. That's it. And uh, we shot we shot the same amount of ducks. So he's a believer now. I mean, that's all he's doing. And he's loving it. I mean, he's finding out the, the joy in it, not just dreading sitting on a planter and, and 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 doing all this. He's finding out those little things that he can tweak, you know, and, and some days how the humidity changes and that changes his plant community. And like he goes in with a, his favorite tool now is a bush hog. I mean, that's what he uses. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, there's just a lot of variables that just lean on moist soil way over corn to me. Man, there really is. So we, we I've got a, a field, an east field, and we, we call it the east cornfield, but it uh, we've always planted corn in it uh, up until a few years ago. And um seemed like we had three or four years in a row that high water would get our corn at some mm -hmm. point between planting and, and it getting mature. But, you know, we quit planting corn in that, and we just kind of managing moist soil in it now. And I'm amazed by annual smart weeds. Boom. <clears throat> I've seen water come up and go and completely submerge mm -hmm. uh, knee-high, waist-high smartweed for four, six, eight weeks at a time, and mm -hmm. the water drops, and there's zero damage. It's, yep. it's phenomenal. It's a hardy plant. Yeah, it's amazing how hardy that plant is. And we had a year here in 2020 where we had marginal moist soil. I was, I was pleased with what we had. But we were fighting cattails and in, in uh, I think it was mid-July. We got a huge rain. We got like a nine-inch rain and we got a major flood. I mean, we went from bone dry to six foot of water in 20 hours. And it stayed on for like eight days. And it was just stinky, nasty black water. I never seen anything like it. So I went ahead and dumped all the water just to get rid of that nasty, stagnant smelling water. And man, it that water really spanked our cattails and after that, we got some big heat units, and the, the smart weed went nuts. I mean, just nuts. And we had the most phenomenal duck season we've ever had on record that year. I mean, we were able to hold a little water. We got some timely rains, but, but just the moist soil production across 3,000 acres of water. I mean, I'd hate – I should have took some samples just to see what kind of poundage, what kind of, poundage of food we had per acre, but it was unreal. We were holding 70,000, 80,000 ducks all season, and they were getting pounded on but they're able to find little refuges and on our refuge, you know, we had a lot of food there. Normally my refuge area, we don't get much food uh, just because of the, the silt and the, and the it's so the silted in so bad. Now there's the seed banks gone. It's just so fine, but, but we had food in there and uh, it's, it's an amazing plant. I mean, it's made for it. Well, let's, so let's talk about now, you know, we, we've kind of waited till season was over to start talking about some of this because we wanted to, we wanted to let our listeners in on what it takes to put in uh, a moist soil crop for ducks. And and we're starting with that right now. You you mm -hmm. lay in the groundwork when you start draining water in the mm -hmm. spring. So so let's talk about what you will have to do from now throughout the summer um, to establish your moist soil like you want it. So, so let's start from draining, how you would drain mm -hmm. into – 
different responses you're going to get and and different manipulations you're going to have to do through the summer, whether it's a disturbance or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing right now is is the drawdown. I mean, it's you just don't pull all your boards and let it rip. You know, you might have to in a green tree just to get the water off, but but up here where I'm at, you know, it's all it's all veg. So the slower I can get it off to mimic evaporation, the better. I mean, I'll start right now. Yeah, I got some areas I'll try to pull an inch. I'll try to make sure I'm dropping an inch every two or three days at the at the at the fastest. And we got some guys across the state, they'll they'll pull a board up and they'll put a wedge in there just instead of a four-inch board, they'll put a two-inch board or a one-inch just to slow it down. And the longer we can keep that mud wet, but yet get some sunshine on it, then we'll get a germination. And and so we'll kind of we'll start, we'll be drawn down from here in the next week or two all the way into into the end of April. Right. Um, just and then we get that varying those various levels of maturity throughout the year, but uh, we'll start monitoring it. I'll watch it. I'll watch it every every week. We're busy spraying noxious weeds on the uplands and getting all this other stuff done. I mean, I help manage four other properties, so there's only two of us managers for like ten thousand acres. So we rely on a lot of seasonal help to get the busy stuff done. But uh, I try to make I try to make point to get out once a week, and we're boots on the ground you know, hands and knees looking at plants and making decisions. Um, we kind of let it ride up until about July 4th is our cutoff up here. You know, if we're getting a decent moist soil response, we'll just kind of let it go. Yeah, we might get some curly dock, which isn't bad for me because it kind of shades the soil out and I get a good barnyard grass response. But we start seeing things like a giant ragweed show up. It's a big one. Um, some Some woodies that we don't want in there. Then about mid-July, we might get on the mower and do some top cutting just to open up open up some of that so the sun can get down to that moist soil so it can keep going. But come July 4th to start hard decision time. It's, you know, this patch here, what do we want to do? We might need to mow that or we might just need to completely reset it if we get a lot of, uh, we get a lot of spike rush. It needs a disc. So we'll come in and we'll disc that, not for this 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 fall, but for next year so. Right, you know that manipulation, that disturbance. You know it's bare soil right now, but it gets a water cycle on it. The next year, it gets it's a good moist soil. So, um, when I started out my career, I really tried to force things. This is how I want it. This is where I want it, and I found out quick. You know, it's like an art. You just got to roll with it. So it's kind of what Mother Nature throws at you. It's and there's some years we don't do nothing. We just let it ride, and we get a good stand. And there's some years where we completely screw it up. You know. I know two years ago I had a patch of was phenomenal smartweed. At the end it was, but at the beginning it was pretty shady. I had a lot of other stuff in it, so I decided to hit it with some 2,4-D to get a grass response. And I hit it with 2,4-D, and that was the wrong thing because all I got was cocklebur. Right after I hit it, we got a big rain, and it came on and came right off real fast. And the heat was I mean we had 100 degree days, and then we had a big push of cocklebur and. Uh, this is a unit that I just can't pump water on. You know, you put an inch of water on a cocklebur that's four inches tall, he's going to choke. But, right. but it kind of let, we kind of let it go. It's like a 20 acre patch and kind of ignored it for a while, seeing what would happen. And come season, I had a lot of mad hunters because I had dogs full of cocklebirs. So, <laughs> but it's one of those things. That's what makes it fun. It's just, it's different every year, but uh, it lets you play around with it and it's, it still bounces back eventually. You know, that's right. And that's something that I, I learned is, you know, of course, you never know exactly what you're going to get a response from. 
but there's a few things you can bank on. You know, we, we can usually bank on our annual smart weeds popping uh, pretty quick. That's one of the first things that seem to respond in the spring. Um, you know, most anything we do, we seem, if, if we do it prior to like May 15th-ish, um, we're going to get a pretty good grass response. Mm -hmm. um, when we start getting later, water coming off later, water coming off too fast, disturbances uh, later in the year, that's when we start seeing a lot of hemp sesbania and cucumber yeah. and things like that popping up. And then, you know, if you, of course, then you've got bare spots where you come in, you try to supplement some of that with some Japanese millet or something. And then we mm -hmm. find army worms all. Yeah. All. And uh, so it, if you can, you know, and that's one thing that we learned. I was just talking to a guy about that today. Uh, well, actually, Adam uh, Keith called me and me and Adam were talking about uh, um growing moist soil and and different things and you know we don't seem to have a lot of army worm issues in native stuff that comes up on its own mm -hmm. but you know we plant some of this non-native stuff uh whether it's a japanese millet or a pearl millet or whatever it might be yeah. and, uh, you know once it gets up two or three inches tall up until it gets up waist high we're going to have army worm issues. Uh, I, we've ran into some of that. I've had army worms just desiccate some barnyard grass I had, but they didn't even think about touching the smart weed. They, they don't hit smart weed that, that hard, but yeah. they do. Young barnyard grass, if it's late, they will hit it. Yeah. But, and I had, uh, I had some tooth cup. I had some really good looking moist soil. It's been three or four years ago. And we got a tooth cup response there in about July and it was the youngest plant that we had growing. Yeah. And, um, the, the barnyard grass was big enough that the army worms didn't mess with it, but it was just full of army worms hammering this tooth cup. Hmm. And we went ahead and sprayed it with an airplane, but, uh, man, it was, uh, uh, you know, if, if we would have had Milo or corn or, or something, oh, yeah. else, you know, they would have just hammered it. Uh, yeah being in there but as it was you know they were just feeding on that tooth cup which we could have done without but and i think anytime you get a chance to kill army worms you need to do it yeah well that goes back to i mean yeah they're in the tooth cup we got to kill them but if they're in milo or corn holy crap i got all this money in this thing that's you right know? yeah mother nature throws some weird things at you but but it's not it doesn't hurt as bad when it's when it's free that's right that's right yeah Thomas, you back when you were guiding, you got your feet wet on some moist soil hunting uh, several times, several years there, didn't you? Oh yeah, yeah. We we hunted some moist soil. Always had good success in it. Um, and you know there was a well about the last place I got it at. You actually had been on it at some point, been on that property before me, and had called. I think you were trapping and uh maybe trapping some beavers or something and called the landowners like hey man somebody accidentally probably inadvertently drug a disc across this and you got a lot of really good stuff growing now yeah that was uh <laughs> i know what you're talking about that was pretty cool so so uh, uh matt this place that he's talking about had been taken over by a perennial smart weed it was just mm -hmm. matted everywhere just horrible no no duck food value and you yeah. know it's a, a lot of people see smart weed they think oh man that's good for ducks but perennial smart weed is not it chokes out everything it's a battle well somebody had pulled a disc or drugged something i don't know what they had done 
right across the middle of this farm. And where they had disturbed that had the most beautiful tooth cup, barnyard grass, um, had a little bit of some uh, annual smart weeds coming up in this sea of perennial smart weed that just matted, mm -hmm. choking everything out. And you know how it's all kind of a dark brown looking color and this real light tan looking strip of great yeah. and barnyard grass and just just made a you can just see where they went all the way across this farm uh pulling whatever they were pulling and it was an accident but you could that disturbance made all the difference in the world oh yeah 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 back in uh probably the mid 90s um I, I probably mid 90 about 95 96 probably i got introduced to layout boats and yep. uh, you know we don't in arkansas for the most part nobody hunts out of a layout boat here that's a, that's yankees do that stuff <laughs> and and i was actually hunting with two yankees at the time that were you know considerably older than me and uh um uh, i learned a tremendous amount from those guys tremendous amount about duck hunting from those mm -hmm. guys they were super super good hunters uh they were really good at what they did and uh, I learned a lot. And, you know, I, I can tell you from, from hunting that type of stuff, it is probably the whole layout boat deal is one of the funnest hunts. I mean, you can't top green timber for me. Uh, obviously, I, I'm committed to that, you know, one, because it's the truth, and two, because I'm an Arkansan. But the whole layout deal in uh, – you know, in, in a moist soil unit or something, that that is really a lot of fun. I mean, you you can you can light ducks, you know, on your feet, mm -hmm. just oh, yeah. like you can in the in the timber, and it's just real up close and personal. A lot of fun, you know. Um, and and people, especially in Arkansas, I think they undervalue or totally overlook moist soil. Right. I don't right. think a lot of our guys have seen it in action properly yeah yeah i think that's a lot of it you know even even uh our game and fish commission here in in some of their moist soil they're still working ground up and planting millet uh you know in place of what might come up but i think some of that you know one of the main areas i'm talking about over here a place called raft creek the water always comes off so late in the year it's you know they're july getting water off a lot of times yeah. and uh you know, so sometimes they've got a short window and, and uh, you know, it's not worth risking, you know, what are we going to get? We're going to have to battle uh, cuckleburrs and hemp sesbania all mm -hmm. summer. But so they just plant, plant millet in its place. But, you know, so there's not a lot of true representation of what moist soil is and can do. And a lot of people don't understand, you know, the manipulation part, you know, like you plant corn you're not allowed to do anything uh, mm -hmm. and to hunt ducks you know you could harvest it but uh standing corn you're not allowed to manipulate it in any way but this moist soil if you didn't plant it and it come up naturally you know we used to always say and i don't know what y'all have discovered but we used to always say about 30 to 40 percent if we could go ahead and roll bush hog or disc that in this year then you know prior to flooding then 
you know, it leaves a better footprint from the air. The ducks mm -hmm. more surface water. It gets vegetation started decaying and attracts invertebrates. It's putting seed heads on the ground immediately for ducks to eat. And then that third of it is already disturbed. So every three years, uh, a part of it's getting disturbed if we're doing a third at a time, yeah. a third of each block. Um, so, so that seemed to help us quite a bit. And then, of course, you know, those little seeds last underwater. I don't know. I think a soybean lasts about 15 or 20 days till it dissolves. And, and yeah. corn, you know, it's lasting 40 or 50 days, I guess, underwater. But some of these moist soil seeds, what they last like, 180 200 days underwater yeah. and, and are still viable seeds and and uh just and still still have still have all of their of their nutritional value i guess is what i'm saying yeah we we really shoot you know traditionally by the second week of december i'm froze i mean y'all can almost drive a truck across my units so i shoot more for that hemi marsh that we call it it's more of a 50 percent 50 percent open water 50 percent vegetative okay. cover um, I found out pretty quick is the guys that are working for me, if they're not a duck hunter, I don't put them on the tractor to mow because they'll okay. mow, they mow straight strips and squares. And <laughs> I want to, I want amoebas, man. I'm like, you're a duck hunter, figure it out. And sure enough, you know, you just, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun in the tractor. I mean, you're sitting there, you're finding stuff that maybe marginal vegetation. Well, I'm going to mow that down or you start on a hole and he's like, well, here's, here's a point that would work good for a north wind and a south wind and you'd be able to hide in the sun i mean you could your imagination just can go nuts you crank a podcast you crank some tunes and you just start laying some vegetation down and when it's hot you know we really start we really start hammering it hard the first part of august and we'll start laying stuff down but but yeah and then and then once our ice gets off you know we usually get a thaw um i got a coat i got a employee that i work with he manages a wetland in the southeast part of the state and he's got a pretty good saying he, he says you know i think ducks can smell water or ice and hear ice melt and uh oh. it's a fact because i mean we'll ice up and all my hunters think it's done but we always seem to thaw out in that january time frame and i mean we hit a day of 50 high 40s and we got some sand pits here the ducks tend to, to bump to and we get a 50 degree day they're over here cruising looking for some water looking for some food and that they they seek it out and it's all moist soil i mean they'll, yeah they'll go hit the corn every day but we get a warm day when there might be some water on top of that ice they're over here and, yep. and once they find it they stay here they yeah, stay here. yeah you, you know, know what? birds using it on the reverse migration a lot of february march yeah, yep. yeah right now i'm holding about fifty thousand ducks right now mallards and pintails wow and it's I look out my window. I mean, I I have a lot of hard. I have a hard time spending time in the office this time of year. I just I just love to go out and watch them. Yeah, the, the courtship flights, and you know, we got quarter million snow geese here. They kind of push the stuff out, but it's pretty neat to watch them get off when it when it takes snow geese half an hour to get off your property to go feed. It's a lot of birds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. it is. yeah, it is. You know that same property uh, hunter we we're talking about. You know they. One year they spent quite a bit flying golden millet on, yeah, and uh, you know trying to trying to get it to grow, and you know a lot of times we work against nature, yeah, like you were saying earlier, Matt, mm -hmm. instead of with it, you know, and you can fight that and fight that and fight that all you want, or or you can just work with it, yeah, and get a lot better result, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of 
there's a lot of things you see is like, well, that looks like crap. It's like, well, it's going to look like crap this year. It's just how it goes. It's just how it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, and what you'll find is there's a there's a silver lining in that crap. It's because it's usually something like, you know, it could be a cattail patch or it could be a patch of uh, spike rush. It just if you don't know what spike rush is, it's a, it's a short grass that just forms this sod, and you hit it with a disc and. I've got a cat challenger with tracks on it and I can crab walk that thing trying to break that, that sod up. I mean, it just rolls it out like a plow does and you got to hit it 10, 12 times just to get it broke out. And, uh, you know, we've had patches like that. Well, that's just a biker rich patch. It, it's just going to be crap this year. Well, we start putting water on, guess where all the pintails want to be. They want to be walking around in that stuff. I don't know why. I don't know if they got, there's a bug sink in there. Uh, it's, it's easy for them to walk around. They can see, but I had a teal hunt one year that we had about a half acre of that stuff. And it, was, it embarrassed me because it was right there by the levee and I could see it. And, but every time I drive by the levee to check water levels, there'd be 30 teal on that thing. <laughs> so I, you don't know. I don't, I don't know what it was. You just, you just, you just wonder, but, but yeah, I mean, I talked, I see on social media, there's, guys in southeast missouri that are disking up thousand pound of the acre barnyard grass to plant golden millet and that's just like, insane like what are you doing they're like oh it's more food per acre yeah but the stuff that's there is free man it's free and, and it wants to be there i mean yeah. i've seen that happen too and just all oh, drives me crazy or disking up good smart weed to plant japanese millet and yeah. uh Oh, it just, it drives me insane. It's, it's, it's human nature. We got to put our hands on something. It's the same in the deer world. I got to put my hand on this bag of seed and put it in the ground. Or I got to spray this, this ragweed and goldenrod and all this awesome looking annuals. You know, ragweed is a big thing here in Kansas for my deer hunters. They don't understand it, how important ragweed is to the whitetail. But the same with the ducks. It's just this food is what they've evolved to eat. And that's what they grow up in. And and we just have to touch it. We got to touch it. We got to manipulate it. It's just our nature to, to, That's to right. manipulate it. That's right. Yeah. I don't know. Got to have your hand in it. I guess that means you yeah. don't. You, uh, I, you know, I learned a long time ago that there's a lot of people better at stuff than me, especially the good Lord. If he <laughs> put it there, then. Uh, yeah. And a lot of my hunters, you know, especially on my area, being on a public area, I call them shotgun managers. You know, they don't have an opinion and they don't have a, a say in what goes on here until they got a gun in their hand. They don't, they don't see the days in June and July. They just think we drive around and let stuff grow. That's right. And uh, they don't see us cutting trees. They don't see us out there cleaning, snapping turtles out of water control structures and, and replay and fixing levees and, and doing all the stuff that we do, which is fine. I mean, that's how it's supposed to be, but yeah. you know, I got some local guys that they, they'll show up in the middle of summer when we're, when we're neck deep in a levee. Uh, replacing a water control structure or we're out there disking and they start asking questions and they realize there's a lot more to it than you think than that than most people actually know and it's it's an art and it's a science and it's it's just it's work but it's it's really fun so you you've got some spots that you can't pump water out of the ground because of salt correct I, yeah i got i can't pump any water out of the ground all of my water rights are surface water only um Kansas in Kansas, the water is like gold, like oil. Um, we have some pretty strict water rights. Um, we have a there's an a oh there's a our Department of Water Resources has a thing called minimum desirable stream flow. So the main river that's about five miles east of me, the Republican River, 
if, if that river gets below a certain elevation, that triggers the minimum dissolved stream flow. So our water rights in Kansas are based senior to junior. So the oldest water rights are the most senior rights, and they can do whatever they want to with that water. And I got two major pools that are senior, so I can do what I want, but I got nine junior water rights. So the more junior the water right, they shut you down. You can't divert, you can't pump, you can't hold nothing. And uh, this year was that way. We were we were restricted. So the only water I can pump right now is I can pump surface water out of one creek that we make into a wetland. Um, the creek itself was about 10 foot entrenched and we got a low head dam on it and it looks huge, but when we got eight foot of water on that low head dam, that wetland's only 20% full. So it's that last two foot that puts the water out on it. And I can pump out of that underground 1800 feet and I service another 500 acre wetland through there. The wetlands that I service through that pump is are the ones that I can really manipulate with moist soil because there's not much sediment silt in there. It's it's old ag ground. And that's the funny thing. It's it was it's been farmed for a hundred years. And we acquired we acquired that ground and we were working on some grants to to get some wetland production, uh reconstruction done there. And that year it set fallow, man, the smart weed and the barnyard grass just exploded. And it hasn't been in that in a hundred years. Yeah. It's pretty cool stuff, but yeah, I mean, we got guys across the state that pump out of rivers. They can go flip a switch and, and pump water. They can irrigate in the summertime and they can bump that water up. And I, I don't have that luxury. I mean, I've done some stuff where we've flown on, we've flown on Japanese millet uh, on a mud flat because we had some late rains and same type of deal with you hunters. You know, we didn't think we we're going to have much. So we better fly on some millet. It got six inches tall. I was excited. Then we got a four inch rain and we had four foot of water over it for 20 days. So mm. there's money down the drain, but, uh, but it all seems to work out. I mean, we had other, other places that needed the water and it, it did really well. So it's just. So when you lost your millet like that, did you get anything come up naturally after that? Did you get anything or was it just a mud flat all duck season? It was basically that, that trigger time that I talked about in July. We were right on it. Actually we were after it, it was late July. So I made the call. The forecast wasn't looking great. So I just, it was already gone. So we just held that water and used that water, shipped it south to supplement pumping into another pool, which, okay. which paid off. So, I mean, I got a big thick three ring binder. Um, I'll, I'll measure water on the daily, you know, up here. It's probably the thing I worry about. And we really manage the most is, is, is our water. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a limited resource come right. late summer here. So, um, those August rains that we usually get here in Kansas, those thunderstorms, we rely a lot on that. It, it kind of gets the ground set up for us going into September and teal season, but we haven't had that the last two years. So we've, we've had a pretty good drought here, which that's a good thing, really. I mean, when it's dry, we get out and we get out in those moist soil units. I mean, we took a tractor this fall. Uh, we dissed 90 acres of cattails. We were able to make nine passes on it. And it's in a place where I haven't been able to even think about taking a tractor in 10 years. So we, we got that reset. So I'm excited to see how that's going to turn out this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I understand you got a new toy to play with too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, been saving our pennies and, uh, asking some other people for some funding, but we were able to acquire a Marshmaster. Um, some of those coon asses down South know what that is, <laughs> but oh. Us, us Kansas boys have never seen one, but we got three in the state. It's basically a, an aquatic 
skid steer almost. It's all aluminum. It's got tracks on it. It'll float, but it's got a roller chopper on it. It's got a mower. It's got a it's got a 200 gallon spray tank on there. Uh, it's got a blade on the front. I mean, that thing will go anywhere and do anything. It's been a game changer for us. We, you know, usually come teal season when we got water or if we get a flood, we're done. I mean, we can't get out there. We can't spray cattails. We can't spray Phragmites. We can't get out and open up any more water. But uh, this last year, it was a lot of fun during teal season. Guys are shooting teal. They get off the property. I hop on that thing with that with that roller chopper and start opening up some more holes. And it's it's been a game changer, and it will be a game changer for us. It's it's a pretty cool piece of equipment. Well, it sounds like it. And and y'all, uh, but you can't really use tractors out there. You you're silted so bad yeah. in, in places that uh. You just bury a tractor up most of yeah, the time. Yeah, very limited. Uh, I mean, there's places where you're going to bury a UTV. I mean, yeah. uh, my ranger, I got kids. If you don't get stuck, I mean, you're not you're not working in a wetland. <laughs> right. It's just part of the game. But no, we buried skid steers clear to the cab. Uh, I've had contractors bury excavators clear to the, over the tracks. And it's it can be a mess if you don't know what you're looking at. Um, the kids learn pretty quick to learn, look at the vegetation change. That's that's where it's wet, you know. Yeah. You, know, you see that you see where it goes from barnyard grass to cattails. Yeah, there's a change there. You know, they, just because it's cracked and looks dry, don't mean it's dry. That's right. That's right. That's right. What about what about uh, duck use days? Talk talk to me about duck use days on moist soil compared to other, you know, hot crops like like we talk about, like especially corn. Yeah, I mean. I don't have any data in front of me, but uh, the duck use days are always higher on the moist soil than they are corn um, all throughout the year. Maybe not so much on a really cold day, but, uh, you know, my duck use days on when I'm frozen, they're zero. I mean, but they're sitting on a sand pit. They're in survival mode. You know, they're sitting all day soaking up the sunshine and they're hitting a cornfield once a day. Um, you know, like I said before, as soon as they, we thaw out, they're here. They're eating nonstop. That's what they're doing. They're eating. And, and at nighttime, I mean, we get a lot of pressure here. That really, that really puts a hinder on the duck on our duck use. Um, but that's what we're here for is for the hunters. So they go nocturnal, and people think that they leave the area. Um, you know, if we're holding twenty thousand, they're not going to leave the food. They're just going to find they're going to find a different time to come utilize it. And you come down here at ten o'clock at night, park your truck up on the hill and walk down. It sounds like a party. It's just. There's a ton of ducks, and they're in here just grubbing and eating and making all kinds of racket. So I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the moist soil, and the duck use days are a lot higher. Yeah, definitely more bang for your buck. And what, what kind of pressure do y'all have? Well, in Kansas, we we're just starting to see the pressure that we're just seeing a fraction of the pressure Arkansas is seeing. Um, there's a Right now, any any hunter could come to Kansas and hunt. I mean, there's no we have no draw, we have no time you got to get off, other than sunset. Uh, you can come hunt. There's no limit. Um, that's starting to change. We're starting to we're starting to feel it. Our, our constituency, our, our the people that hunt here, are starting to, to voice their opinion a little bit. So we've been looking at a lot of data um, as an agency because there's no silver bullet to this and. We're realizing it's not a numbers issue because back in the 70s, uh, we had a lot more hunters than we got right now. Uh, we got Cheyenne Bottoms, which is the largest natural inland wetland in the country. It's a 20,000 acre wetland. 
I mean, it's, it's an impressive place. And we had just right now we're seeing a fraction of the number of hunters we had back in the seventies. Really? So, so, but, but then you had to draw blinds or you had a free area and what we're seeing, we're thinking, this is my personal thoughts, but it's more of a pressure issue. That's what we're thinking. Um, it's a culture shift. The, these guys are coming out here and from out of state and they're here to hunt. I mean, you can't knock them for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, their methods of hunting and the reason they hunt's a little different. Um, you know, it's not just about getting out in, in, in the woods and, 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 and hunting. I mean, they're sitting there until they kill a limited ducks. And if it takes all day, it's all day. So the birds just, they don't get a chance to rest. Outfitting's huge around here. Um, it's getting growing every year. So any field, any pond, these ducks try to get away to, they're getting shot at as soon as their feet touch the ground. So we're definitely seeing a lot more pressure. And when we got these small public land areas, I mean, I'm 6,000 acres. Chyan Bottoms is 20,000. That's kind of an anomaly. But, uh, you know, we got a 3,000 acre area, you know, just on that little 3,000 acre piece, um, a third of it's refuge and he'll have 80 hunters a day on, on that little piece. So, wow. uh, but all of our non-residents show up and they're like, you guys don't know what pressure is. But, <laughs> so, and then we, we talked to other states like Arkansas, what are you guys doing? You know, how are you handling pressure? And they just said, welcome to the show. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no right answer. Every, every property is different. Every day is different. Every year is different. And so we're really tiptoeing through this, trying not to have any knee-jerk reactions, even though, you know, our constituents think we're not doing nothing. We're really really trying to look at our options and see what's going to work. You know, on my property, I got a lot of pressure, but a noon closure is not going to do me any good. A shell limit is not going to be enforceable for me because I got so much access. So um, I'm looking at maybe maybe turning a pool into a refuge for half a season. Um, there's, there's been some duck telemetry data out of Southeast Missouri in, in Arkansas, even that's showing that these birds aren't, you know, people say that the birds come to these WMAs at one o'clock and maybe so, but the majority of the birds, especially these tele- these birds with transmitters on them, they're not, they're not, they're not coming back to the WMAs till two weeks after the season. They're, right. they're, they're spending all their time on a refuge and then at nighttime, they're hitting the rice. Or in the nighttime, they're hitting the private lands uh, that have good moist soil. So me you as a manager. Have, uh, so in, when I lived in Missouri, a, a place that was set up for ducks that you couldn't hunt was called a refuge. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you're referring to here. They're called sanctuaries. Sanctuaries. But um, yeah. do y'all have many of those? Yeah, all of our properties do. Um, I really like to try to make them bigger. Um, you know, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, they they make the majority of their properties refuges or sanctuaries because it, it works. Um, you can't hunt at all, and that's kind of detrimental to them. But I've got on my 3,000 acres of water, I got an 800 acre refuge, a water refuge. So um, actually, when we're brimful, we're pushing 1,000. So it makes a big difference. I mean, the birds hang there. People complain about it, but hey, you saw ducks today, right? And yeah, it's well. We got ducks here. So do you feel like that if you didn't have those and people could hunt wherever they wanted that the ducks just wouldn't be there at all? Absolutely. 100 percent Yeah. I think the thing that affects the ducks next to weather is is pressure. Yeah. And I'm not talking just shotgun pressure, shooting at them. I mean, boats ripping around, even trucks driving, driving down the road. Yeah. They they 
they're a lot smarter than we give them credit for. They they know that vehicle, those lights coming down that road means I'm going to get shot at or I'm going to be pushed around. So I'm just going to leave now. Right. Yep. That that's that constant disturbance. Yep. You know what Hunter and I talk a lot about. It, it is pressure. That that constant boat motor going, the constant side by side, just the driving, the going, the boat riding, the joy riding, the, mm -hmm. the just nonstop activity is a disturbance in and of itself, which to them is pressure. Like you said, it's just yeah. not necessarily getting shot at, but it's all about getting messed with, yeah. and they don't want nothing to do with that. And yeah. that's that's what we're really seeing. I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday from uh, Maryland. He's in the Ocean City, Maryland area. Mm -hmm. They've got a bunch of impoundments there, and and uh, they 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 duck hunt a lot. And and he he's a little older, and he and I were talking about this very same thing. And I was sharing with him some of our uh, duck stamp sales, annual duck stamp sales, that um, you know what we've seen in the past. 20 plus years, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the increase since, well, uh, data I've got from 92 to now and the increase we've seen in it. And then the other thing that's really hard to put a pencil to is we know we sold that many duck stamps, mm -hmm. but how many of those guys hunted, didn't hunt, whatever, maybe you can look at hip registration stuff. But the other thing is how many of those guys that hunted, hunted 40 days or 50 yeah. days or 60 days, because a lot of what we see now, and you'll think this is hilarious. I pulled out on the main drag in town today after lunch, and there was a, a an older four wheel drive short wheelbase truck. Tires were about bald. He had a, a a a sticker in the back glass where he'd been to welding school, and and then he had some other kind of duck hunting deal. And there was a duck feather literally stuck to his back glass. And I will <laughs> promise you that that guy has hunted at least 50 days this year. Yeah. And and that's part of the culture we see now. Yeah. You know, it's it's about how many days did y'all hunt? How many days did you hunt this year? Well, I yeah. hunted 55. I hunted 60, you know, I whatever. And then it's well, how many ducks did you kill, you know? And and, yeah. it, and then can I look at social media and see that? So the other thing, man, that they're always striving to get uh some type of uh photograph Oh yeah. Even, even if it's not ducks on a log, it might just be them riding in their new boat. Like they're mm -hmm. on some kind of promotional staff to help yeah. sell Ford trucks or something. It's just, it just yeah. blows my mind. Well, I found so, myself, I found myself on TikTok this year from a bunch of kids <laughs> from the South. I was just scrolling through and like, that looks like me. Yeah. yeah sure. They left out the part where they each got some tickets, but that's here <laughs> nor there, but yeah, we got a pretty good thing going in Kansas. Um, as far as data collection, as far as hunter use days is all of our, especially our wetland areas. Um, we require hunters. We've been doing it for years. They got to check in and check out on the daily. Um, it's not a, we used to have a card system. We were, we had stations all through the property. They had to fill out a card, um, their demographic info. And then after their hunt, they had to fill out their harvest info and put it in the box. Now we do it all electronically. So we're able to track real time. I can pull up on my phone how many guys I got checked in today. And at the end of the day, I can, I can, I can query how many ducks were killed out of this pool, my non-residents or resident percentages, my youth percentages. Um, it's been a very vital tool as far as number one funding. I can go to a county commission. I'm like, look, this many non-residents showed up and hunted 
and they stayed two, they stayed multiple days. So they're spending money in the community, but it's pretty important as far as we're using that to set our waterfowl seasons. Um, and then we're using it on this pressure issue too. That's, uh, there's some properties that have been collecting daily, daily hunt data since the sixties. So that's just invaluable info. And Man, it's I pretty, wish, I wish yeah, Arkansas needs that bad. Bad, it, bad, bad. You know, it, because we, we, a couple of years ago when this became a really hot topic and they were talking about restricting out-of-state guys even more, uh, you know, there were people driving around to different boat ramps and looking at license plates. Oh, yeah. And then trying to figure it out. I mean, that's a poor mm-hmm. way to do it, you know, counting trucks and, you know, just, I mean, just crazy nonsense. But um, the, the, the thing I'm curious about is do, do you have any data, and you may have it or at least access to it, you may not know it, how many duck stamps y'all have sold you know, have you seen a trend, a shift in that uh, and what the breakdown between resident and non-resident is? I don't know the exact number, but the trend is is kind of shifting. The, the residents are the residents are starting to drop a little bit, and then our non-residents are just I wouldn't say exponentially, but but they're climbing. We're we got some properties where they've already crossed. Oh uh, wow. Yeah, we've got I've got a reservoir up here. It's kind of a destination place. It's not just the place you drive by because it's almost in Nebraska. But it's ninety six percent non residents. That's duck hunt there. So um, some of our more popular places out east, it's it's pushing sixty percent on the season non residents to residents. So we're definitely seeing a shift. Our duck stamp sales are staying pretty static. Um, Any idea how many you're you're selling a year? Oh man, uh, not nothing compared to Arkansas, but it's I I honestly can't tell you a number that, right that's now. All right. Well, I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean it's it's significant. I mean, just like anything, our, our agency is unique in Kansas to where we don't operate off tax dollars. Uh, we don't any get we don't get any tax revenue goes no tax revenue goes to our agency. So it's we operate off of PR money, grants, and then hunting and fishing license sales and tags. So that's that's a big selling point for us to the public. Uh, we used to be like that. Yeah, we do a very poor job at marketing that as well. Because everybody has to say, oh, my tax dollars hard at work. It's like, well, no. I mean, did you buy a hunt license last year? Yeah. Okay. Well then, yeah. You have you have a you have a skin in the game. But what's a, what's a what's a uh uh hunting license cost ballpark me hunting and fishing combination type type deal for a resident and a non-resident? Uh a resident's gonna cost you around twenty five, thirty dollars for a combo. Uh non-resident's gonna cost you uh, uh, non-resident hunting license is about 80 bucks so i think a combo is about 125 bucks combo which is i mean guys don't mind paying it and, oh man that's yeah and, well it's like us our non-resident depending on if you're doing big game or small game yeah so it can get a little bit more than that yeah but that's dirt cheap i mean that yeah you fill your truck up twice for that anymore well that's the thing is our residents really like to complain about it and we've only had one fee increase in the last 10 years. <laughs> and, you know, and our non-resident waterfowlers, we brought up the idea just in passing. I just asked just to kind of get an idea. It's like, would you guys willing to pay for a public land stamp? That's going to cost you 50 bucks. And most guys go, no problem. I'll pay 500. Yep. You know, no problem. Yeah, that, so that's what I was fixing to tell you. You can make it 500. They don't yep. care. Yeah. They don't care. They're coming. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I've I've had a lot of guys. South Carolina is one of our biggest states. Um, oh yeah, a lot, we, of, the, a lot of those guys that. tell me I've had a lot of guys say Kansas is the new Arkansas. 
get ready because we're here. We're, we drive through Arkansas to come here, to come to your state and hunt. And it blows my mind because these are 23, 24-year-old kids. They're coming here. I, I had a group of kids. They were here every single weekend, and they go home. They show yep. up on Friday and go home on Monday. Yep. And they're yep. working. They're working from working on their computer at home or in the truck. You know, taking Zoom calls at the boat ramp and then getting back out after it. So, like talking about that culture, that's things have really changed since I was a kid. Oh man. Oh yeah. And and you know the whole the whole way they think too about you know, career and mm -hmm. acquiring certain things. It's very different now. I mean, they're not focused on that. They're, they're focused on enjoying today. Yeah. And I don't think about, you know, it, we, and we see a lot of trends, even in the housing market, you mm -hmm. know, used to where, you know, you had somebody bought a starter home and then they sold that and bought a bigger home and they sold that and bought another home, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and there were certain things they wanted. Now it's all different. Oh, their, yeah. their perspective, their viewpoints is all different. And I'm not saying that's bad. That's great. That's what they want. But um, what what re resulted from that in the outdoor world, I think, is more pressure. Oh yeah, and, and you know we've been blessed over the years. Uh, you know when I was a kid, we were still in a restricted package. I mean, you can only kill. I was I started shooting ducks right at the tail end of the point system and. Right at the beginning of that that doom and gloom, you know, you could kill in Kansas, you could kill two mallards and a goose. And if you shot a goose, you told people. I mean, you made the paper. But <laughs> but so we talk about that internally. Is where's that trigger? What's it going to take for these for these guys to not come? And I don't think there is a trigger. I mean, when you got that much money invested in boats and decoys and dogs and Sitka and gunner kennels and I mean, there's a lot of money there and there's a lot of commitment there and I. You know, I even think a two duck limit, you're going to have guys that are going to, they're going to beat the bushes and, and go after them. So. Yeah. And I'll tell you another thing, uh, you know, my buddy in Maryland, I was talking to yesterday, um, you know, he was talking about his son who's, who's in his twenties and, you know, he's not really like a lot of the other kids that are his age because what he views as a good hunt is, is, you know, the camaraderie with, mm -hmm. with the group he's with. Now, a lot of times he's hunting with his dad and older guys but you know he wants to enjoy the time with them they shoot a few ducks let's go to the house oh, yeah. but you know what i was telling him yesterday is i was like man anymore it's like all right you know we we may have had a good hunt and it and be say 8 30 9 o'clock and we may lack three or four ducks to finish yep but we're like ah let's go ahead and scratch it let's go eat let's mm -hmm. go take a nap let's go to whatever store or do this or that and we'll yeah. come back again tomorrow well, the, the new group is like, we lack three ducks. We'll sit here till we kill them. Yeah. 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 I, I give my hunters a hard time, my younger guys, because it's, you know, they pull up to the ramp and I let them get their stuff together and load the boat before I start checking them. And uh, why'd you guys do? Oh, we shot a three man. We shot a three man, huh? Oh yeah. Well, there's eight of you. <laughs> yeah. You shot less than half your limit. You know, it's just, you know, we shot two man. We shot a nine man. Shot a nine my teal hunters just blow my mind because you know opening day of teal season it's early september we got a lot of teal but we got a lot of mosquitoes and a lot of humidity yeah and those those guys get out there at midnight to save a spot you know you, you've been out in the weeds you've been out in the mosquitoes since midnight and you brag because you shot a limited teal in six minutes yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. i it's just a different mentality and 
yeah, we're, we ain't going to change it. So how can we mitigate it and manage it? That's and right. even the, even the vernacular, you know, the little terminology stuff, like you're saying, like a a, a three man limit or or whatever. You know, we never used those phrases. No. I mean, I'm like, where did that even come from? A three it was a it was a secret. You shot ducks. You didn't tell a soul. Mm-hmm. How many did you guys shoot? Oh, we shot a few. That's yeah. how it always like we shot a few. Yeah, it was you didn't right. tell anybody. Now it's now it's I got kids. It's how fast can I put the pile on my tailgate? And Mr. Surrey, take my picture so I can put it on the Instagram. That's right. Yeah, that's you know, that's right. And it, I, I laugh at him and I give him a hard time, but they eat it up. And I'm part of me, you know, it's hard to wear that hat as a manager and a duck hunter because as a duck hunter, I'm a greedy, selfish guy like we all are at some point. And but then as a manager, I got to promote my area and I got to, you know, I got to market it market our area and it's well, it's a it's a tough line to walk sometimes for me and, and we <laughs> want them hunting you know oh, yeah. that's the other deal i i, I want them hunting yeah. um I, you know i i want that to happen the 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 places that i that i'm critical of and that i want to tweak is in in that culture i guess of the newer duck hunter is um appreciating more than just how many you killed mm-hmm. you know a number appreciating the outdoors, uh, helping, you know, another guy, um, just, just some different things that got, you know, I won't get into all that, but we'll stick to moist soil. But, um, but you know, I mean, that's the disconnect that, that I, that I have seen, man, you, you know, used to, it didn't matter who you were or, or, you know, what camo you were wearing or what boat you were riding in or, you know what? I mean, yeah. people were friendly. Didn't care if you would come from South Carolina. I mean, yeah. we have a lot of Carolina guys come, and uh, uh, especially when I was guiding, had a bunch. You know, on public ground and yeah. and private ground, <clears throat> we had a lot of lot of South Carolina guys come. Some North Carolina guys, and uh, man, it just you know, it, it, their their culture out there was so different. Mm-hmm. And and you know, when they started telling me that you know it was commonplace for them getting a fist fight. I mean, it was commonplace for them to pull a gun on somebody. It was, you know, I'm like, whoa, Jeez. man, that's crazy, you know? Well, heck, I've just seen, I see videos of fuel lines getting cut in Arkansas and boat races. And man, I, that's, that's crazy to me. But, but yeah, it's, 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 yeah, I don't know how to, how to shift anything. It's, but it's the same thing. It's, you know, I have all the non residents that come here. You know, there's a few bad eggs. They're here to hunt. But they're always appreciative. They they love what we do in Kansas. We're pretty hardcore. We take our we take our jobs very serious. We take pride in our areas. So simple things like keeping a mark a parking lot mode and having a bathroom for them. It's it's unreal. I mean, I got guys that come from other states that they're like, man, you guys mow your parking lots, or you guys you guys mow you guys mow lanes for me to walk in to drag my sled or carry my decoys, and they they love it, and and it, they're all good people. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the other part of it is I told my buddy yesterday, of course, he's been out here and hunted with me some, uh, but I told him yesterday, I said, man, you know, the people that I have the trouble with are, are usually resident locals. hunters. Yep. All the locals like to complain. Yeah. Yep. That's who so, I usually have trouble with. The bottom line is if we could just get more landowners to manage their habitat for yep. whatever the good species, the good Lord put there, and if we could get hunters to have some ethics and appreciate the resources, yeah. then we would have the battle won. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. 
definitely. And that's and, the thing is it, it comes it comes across as it's it's so hard to manage for something when it really isn't. It's not. I mean, it's it just it's just getting out there and seeing what you got, and then coming up with okay, what do I what do I need? That's what, what I'm I, lacking. Yep. Yeah, especially in Kansas, I get the big question from my deer hunters: What food plots do I need to plant? Well, we live in a giant food plot. You know, right? Look, take take a zoom out of your farm. What do you what do you have, or what can you provide that your neighbors don't? And the right. same goes for the duck world. You know, I got I got this I got this little five acre impoundment. How much corn do I need to plant to kill ducks? Okay, you got corn all around you. Why don't you just promote some barnyard grass and build you a nice lodge? And I guarantee you're going to shoot ducks too. You yep. Know? It's, it's the same mentality. Yep, that's right. Yep, you got to provide what's lacking. And you yeah. got to appreciate what you got and strive to do better. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and you'll have half the bottle one. Well, this has been a pretty good one. Do you have any, uh, Matt, you got any parting advice for uh, landowners wanting to uh, hold more birds on their property or somebody that's just wanting to, to try moist soil for the first time? Get in it. Get in the mud. Play in the mud. Get your feet wet. Put your muck boots on. Don't just... It's a, it's a 365 day a year thing. And I, I think once everybody that's got into more soil management, they almost enjoy the management more than, more than they enjoy shooting stuff out of it. It's a passion. It's a passion that grows and, and you, you learn, you, you realize how, na- how cool nature is and how cool, how cool mother earth is and, and, and how cool it, what the Lord's provided for you. Uh, it's all there. You don't, right. you don't, you don't need it. You don't need to put your footprint on everything. Yep. Uh, just be in it. Be part of it. That's, yep. that's the biggest thing. Get out there and do it. You can't yep. mess up all that bad. You, you're going to learn from some mistakes, but like you say, uh, um, just have fun with it. There's not a science. Yeah. There, there is some science to it, but there, it's like you said earlier, it's more artwork than it is, uh, yep. than it is science. The response you get this year may not be the response you got last year from vegetation or ducks either one but uh get out there and and like you say play in the mud get your feet wet have fun with it and uh and learn from uh what goes right and what doesn't oh yeah well guys it's been a pretty good podcast um we uh about an hour and 10 minutes into it so we're gonna jump off here and uh we thank you all for tuning in uh we'll catch you all next week on sawdust and fire Y'all have a great week.